What is up, Iwu crew? Today we're covering five mysterious cold cases solved decades later. Let's get right into it. Number five, Johnny Albritton. Johnny Albritton, a family man, a hardworking rancher, and the owner of a humble small town shop. Loved by his children and respected by his community, it came as a horrifying shock to the people of peaceful Leon County, Texas, when on May 14, 1984, 65-year-old Albritton was murdered in his own house by five gunshots, the killer long gone. Upon investigation of the gruesome crime scene, all signs seemed to point to an obvious conclusion, an aggravated burglar. Johnny's keys were abandoned on the carpet floor, directly adjacent to the sliding glass door, leading authorities to believe he had been ambushed. $6,000 in cash was missing, and Johnny's gun collection had been scattered and placed onto blankets around the floor. The police deduced that a robbery had been taking place before an unwitting Albritton entered the house. He was completely unaware of the intruder's presence and therefore turned his back to lock the door behind him, giving the attacker the perfect opportunity to strike. The police had an explanation for Albritton's death, but one key element was missing. Who had done it? With no further leads to follow, the case went cold for 35 years. But like any small town, people talked. Among those who knew the Albritton family, many had begun to suspect that Johnny's second wife, Norma, had orchestrated the whole thing to cover up her cold-blooded murder of her own husband. And indeed, it was no secret that the pair's marriage was far from healthy. Outsiders had noticed that Norma had shown signs of being violent and even dangerous. Many found it suspicious that Johnny, who ran a successful business, seemed to be constantly asking for cash and accused Norma of stealing sums of money from the store. Norma was far less liked than her husband. She had gained a reputation for being a bully who had threatened other townspeople once allegedly confronting a police officer with a knife after he gave her son a traffic ticket. And on top of that, a credible rumor was circulating that she had even been having an extramarital affair at the time of her husband's death. Still, the case lay dormant until 2019, when two reporters from a show called Cold Justice decided to take a second look. Together with the local police department, they recreated the 35-year-old crime scene with a skeptical eye. Suddenly, all the clues that had seemed obvious were a little too obvious. The guns were scattered, but none had been stolen. The large sum of cash had been taken, but authorities now knew someone very close to the victim who was already known to steal money from him. It became apparent that the killer had deliberately staged the scene to look like a burglary to throw the police off their trail. And to top it all off, Johnny's excessive wounds were a little odd. Even the most hardened criminal would have no reason to shoot Johnny three times in the back and twice in the chest to get rid of him. 
The only person who would have that motive would be someone close to Johnny. For example, an enraged wife with known violent tendencies and dishonest behavior. Even stranger, when called in for a polygraph test, Norma accidentally shot herself, non-fatally, to avoid her appointment. Norma had tricked law enforcement all these years with her carefully crafted hoax, framing an imaginary burglar. But after all these years, the jig was finally up. Norma even confessed to taking money from Johnny's store so many years ago. A former Leon County woman is charged with murder in a cold case that dates back more than 35 years. Investigators say Johnny Albritton was killed by his wife at their home near Buffalo back in May of 1984. Crime happened here at their home on Highway 75 in between Buffalo and Centerville. Sheriff Kevin Ellis tells me she'd been a suspect for decades. New evidence recently came forward linking her to the crime. Ellis said the scene at the home was very violent. The morning of the murder on May 14, 1984, Johnny Albritton was entering his residence to a sliding glass door and his, he was entering into the residence, he was shot five times. On July 1st, 2019, Norma Albritton was finally arrested for her crime. She was 84 years old. And there's another chilling fact that makes this story even more sinister. Johnny's teenage daughter, Pam, had lost her life from a gunshot wound only three years before her father's death. Given the new developments, Authorities are taking a closer look at this case, which they had initially deemed an attempt to end one's life, to see if Norma may have been involved. Number 4. Darlene Crashock If you've ever tried out one of those at-home DNA kits for fun or to learn about your family history, it may not have crossed your mind that your results could play a part in criminal investigations. But for three relatives of Michael White, that's exactly what happened. On the night of March 16, 1987, Darlene Crashock went out to a party with some friends at a Colorado Springs local club. Only 20 years old, she was an indisputable hard worker and had already achieved the rank of specialist in the U.S. Army, stationed at nearby Fort Carson. After a night of letting loose and blowing off some steam, Darlene's military friends decided to turn in early for the night. Darlene, however, wanted to stay a little longer. She eventually exited the building alone at 1 a.m. At around 5 a.m. that same morning, two police officers were patrolling the area when they encountered a horrific sight behind a restaurant. Darlene's remains had been disposed of in a dumpster out back. A thorough investigation by law enforcement determined the cause of Darlene's untimely passing to be strangulation. Even though the nameless, faceless criminal behind this evil deed had left behind no shortage of DNA on his victim's remains and the surrounding area, DNA testing methods weren't yet evolved enough to use this DNA to find any meaningful information on the murderer. Even years later, when samples were compared to the pre-existing database of convicts, the search was still fruitless. 
and law enforcement and the Colorado Springs community had come to the terrifying realization that this mysterious murderer was still roaming free. In 2016, DNA analysis advancements allowed scientists to procure results from the 30-year-old samples collected at the 1987 crime scene. Authorities were able to computer-generate a photo of what Darlene's killer would have looked like way back then, and what he might look like now. The Army put up a $10,000 reward in exchange for the identification of these formulated sketches. But the real progress was made when law enforcement decided to scour GED Match, an online database that collects information from sites like 23andMe and Ancestry.com. Through this novel method, they could match the DNA from Darlene's case to three distant relatives of the unknown killer. And once they used these ties to pin down a potential suspect, the truth began to unravel. Michael White not only showed a strong genetic connection to the incriminating DNA, but also happened to be stationed at Fort Carson at the time of the murder. He lived just three blocks away from where the remains were found. Back in 1987, Colorado Springs police say 20-year-old Darlene Krayshock, an active duty soldier at Fort Carson, was strangled. Her body left behind this business on South Academy Boulevard. The case went cold in the early 2000s until a new effort. There is no statute of limitations. So these cases are something that we continue to work uh, based on the technology changing. In 2016, investigators took DNA from the scene to different labs for testing. With that data, they were able to get these sketches of what the suspect could have looked like back then and may look like now. Investigators say the sketches are not likely to be exact. After more DNA analysis, investigators say they narrowed down the suspect early this year to 58-year-old Michael White. And when we got home, there was three sheriff's officers right here in three different vehicles and they were suiting up, putting on vests, and pulling out their arms. Thursday, U.S. Marshals and other agencies swarming this neighborhood. It uh, tends to wake you up. Arresting White for first-degree murder. On June 13, 2019, authorities from the military and local law enforcement alike teamed up to arrest White at his residence. With the now 58-year-old man in custody, Darlene's parents who have spent decades wondering what happened to their daughter, can now at least have some sense of closure. Number 3. Jody Loomis Sometimes, DNA from something even as small as a used coffee cup can be the key to solving a violent crime, as was the case with the murder of Jody Loomis. It was August 23, 1972, when 20-year-old Jody Loomis decided to ride her bike from her home down to the stable where she could ride her horse, Saudi. The roads, for the most part, were sparsely populated and lined with fields. She was last seen crossing the highway before turning into a wooded side road. A few hours later, at around 5.30 p.m., two target shooters were driving up the same road. They stopped momentarily to move a tree out of the way, and that's when they saw Jody lying among the trees beside the road. 
wearing only her underwear, socks, and a pair of boots. She had been shot and was barely alive. They rushed her to the hospital, but their efforts proved futile. Her wound was fatal, and she passed away before the doctors could save her. An autopsy found more evidence on swabs taken from her remains and one of her boots. The swabs offered a potential lead. They had DNA samples, but at the time, analysis techniques were primitive and nowhere near the scope of modern technology. Investigators uploaded a partial profile into the DNA database and attempted over the following years to match it with a convict in the system, but to no avail. For years, many believed that this case would go unsolved and feared poor Jody would never see justice. However, in recent years, a DNA phenotyping company called Parabon Nanolabs Incorporated was able to use their forensic analysis equipment on the samples to formulate a possible family tree that this DNA could belong to. When authorities were given the list of names, one stood out to them in particular, a man named Terence Miller. Now a 77-year-old man, Miller had a disturbing history. He was accused of more than five assaults in his lifetime and had even married a 14-year-old girl when he was 18. At the time of the crime, his current residence and his home back then were mere minutes away from the spot where Jody's remains had been discarded. With all of this information, investigators just needed one last piece of evidence to incriminate Miller, his DNA. They followed him to a casino where he gambled utterly unaware that the crime he had committed and covered up for 47 years was about to come back to bite him. Detectives confiscated a coffee cup he threw away, and after testing, the results showed a match between Miller's DNA and the samples collected from Jody. Detectives tracked the suspect to the Tulalip Casino where he threw out a coffee cup. They say that DNA matched the DNA connected at the crime scene nearly half a century ago. Thanks to genetic genealogy, Miller was finally brought to justice after getting the undeserved privileges of a normal life for almost 50 years. He was arrested in 2019 and is awaiting trial after posting bail of $1 million for first-degree murder. Number 2. David Schultes and Ellen Mathies Ray Van Uvenhoven, an 82-year-old handyman and father of five, was described by friends and neighbors as a kind and helpful old man who was always outgoing and personable. So it came as a complete shock to everyone when Ray was arrested in connection to a double murder from the summer of 1976. David Schultes and Ellen Mathies were a newly engaged couple and they were excited to go on a camping trip together. They packed up the car and headed out for McClintock Park, Wisconsin and set up a small campsite. After setting up their tent, the duo walked to a tiny latrine and David stood watch outside while his fiance used the bathroom, not suspecting they could be in any danger. As he waited, clueless, a strange man suddenly came up behind him with a rifle 
and not even giving him time to try to run away, shot David. Then he came for Ellen. The terrified young woman tried desperately to escape, but only managed to run about 200 yards away into the woods before the killer caught her, and she shared her husband's fate. Not long after their tragic demise, an off-duty officer happened to be visiting the park when he stumbled upon the site of David's remains. After he called in to report the horrific finding, the officer took a look at the abandoned campsite the couple had set up the night before and realized that there must have been a woman there along with David. The next day, he expanded his search to the surrounding area and his worst suspicions were confirmed. Ellen had been shot twice in the chest. It appeared that she had been murdered while trying to put her clothes back on. Once again, the DNA collected from Ellen's clothing was substantial, but investigators couldn't make any real use of it until the technology for genetic genealogy was developed. For this reason, the case went cold for over 40 years, and the gruesome murder of David Schuldes and Ellen Mathies was thought to be unsolvable. It wasn't until December of 2018 that Parabon Nanolabs Incorporated once again got involved in extrapolating a family tree from the collected DNA, which led authorities to the Van Uvenhoven family. After ruling out almost all the brothers, detectives knew the last brother, Ray, had to be the killer. They tricked Ray into licking an envelope for a made-up survey they asked him to take to obtain his DNA. It was then just a matter of testing the DNA against the samples from David and Ellen's file. Both samples matched. Van Evenhoven is accused of shooting and killing David Schultz and his girlfriend Ellen Matthews back in 1974 when the couple were camping out in the town of Silvercliff. But through the use of new DNA testing methods, investigators say they have tied Van Evenhoven to the crime. On March 14, 2019, the now elderly Ray was arrested on first-degree murder charges as his shocked neighbors looked on in disbelief. Some family members maintain Ray's innocence, but his history isn't exactly redeeming. In 1957, the then 20-year-old married man had served a six-month jail sentence for attacking a 17-year-old girl who was walking with her friends. Furthermore, Ray was said to have a fiery temper, especially when he was drinking. In 1960, he even pleaded guilty to neglecting to pay financial support to his wife and infant daughter. Ray denies any involvement in the murders of David and Ellen, but it is clear to law enforcement that he is far from the kind old man that his neighbors saw him as. Number 1. Susan Galvin Our last case is a little different from the others, because by the time authorities tracked down the culprit, he had been no longer alive for over 30 years. In fact, this case holds the record for the oldest case solved through genetic genealogy. Susan Galvin was a bright young woman. At the young age of 20, she had already been living in Seattle for about a year. 
working graveyard shifts as a records clerk for the SPD. But on July 9th, 1967, Susan failed to show up at her job. She was reported missing, and at first, authorities weren't quite sure where to start searching in the huge, bustling city. But when a neighbor told the police about witnessing Susan walk into the deserted Seattle Center parking garage late at night when no one was around, it wasn't long before her remains were found in an elevator in the building's garage. She had been assaulted and suffocated by her attacker. The SPD had a personal investment in this case, but the police were at a loss. If DNA analysis wasn't sophisticated enough during the cases from the late 80s, it should come as no surprise that quickly finding the culprit through this method was like asking for a miracle at the time. The case went cold for 52 years, until the summer of 2018, when the police sent some DNA samples from Susan's file to Parabon Nanolabs Incorporated. The revolutionary genetic genealogy company worked their magic once again, using the online DNA database to find relatives of whoever had left behind this DNA. Sure enough, the technology led them to a soldier assigned to Joint Base Lewis McCord by the name of Frank Whippich. The only problem was that the man in question was already six feet deep, buried back in 1987. Family members were shocked when the police showed them the results of the Parabon analysis. Still, they graciously agreed to allow investigators to dig up Frank's remains to perform the conclusive DNA tests. After exhuming the suspect's remains, his DNA proved to be a perfect match for the 52-year-old sample from Susan Galvin's murder. Whippich had succeeded in evading the blame for this murder his entire life and he had even deceived his loved ones, who had no clue what a monster Frank secretly was. Susan Galvin was a records clerk for SPD. In July of 67, the 20-year-old's body was found in a parking garage elevator at Seattle Center. The one suspect SPD had was never charged for lack of evidence. Then last summer, SPD provided DNA evidence from the crime scene to Parabon Nanolabs using a public genealogy database they created a family tree for the killer and identified a suspect, a JBLM soldier named Frank Whippich, who passed away in 1987. Police exhumed his remains earlier this year, collected his DNA, and it was a match to that from the crime scene. Seattle police say it is the oldest case where genetic genealogy has identified the killer. Authorities were proud that this case could finally be brought to a close, and they hope that the recent insurgence of quick and accurate DNA identification by companies like Parabon will discourage prospective criminals from thinking they can get away with committing heinous crimes. They stressed that they would never stop fighting for a victim's justice, even if the perpetrator is no longer alive. If you enjoyed this video, be sure to hit the like button and subscribe. A playlist is going to pop up right now with more videos you'll love. See you guys next time.